Okay, so last week, we, uh, we looked at the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, where Jesus is with his disciples and, um, and, and they're there and they're praying and, and he's challenged them to pray, to be prepared and ready. Uh, in fact, Peter is kind of singled out for a couple reasons. Uh, he has uh, told Peter earlier that night, you're gonna fail me, you're gonna, you're gonna deny me three times. Peter's like, no, I'm not. And, uh, and, and as they're in the garden, they're, they're supposed to be praying uh, and getting ready in anticipation for what's about to happen. Jesus is about to leave them. They are asleep. And, uh, and, and, and so he has to wake them up multiple times. Uh, at one point telling Peter, listen, temptation is here. You need to get ready. You need to be aware. Uh, it's happening. And, um, and so ultimately Judas leads these officers and these soldiers into the garden of Gethsemane to get Jesus to arrest him. And as they walk in to arrest him, G Judas, uh, betrays Jesus with a kiss, uh, uh just a, a sign of affection and endearment, uh, that a, um, that a disciple would often give to their rabbi and, uh, and he betrays Jesus. In that moment, we see a reaction, a response. We see uh, Peter being highlighted for him taking out a sword and swinging wildly and cutting off Malchus, uh, a, the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. And then Jesus heals that ear, tells him to put away a sword. And then in Matthew's account of this event, we see what happens next as they're about to arrest Jesus. It says in Matthew 26, 56, Jesus turns and addresses them all. It says, but all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Okay, so in that moment, after he's told him, hey, holster that, put that away. Um, and he's uh, essentially allowing himself um, to be captured, to be arrested. He looks at them all and says, listen, this is, is all in the plan. This is all in God's plan. This is happening exactly how it's supposed to. Okay? Ultimately, it's gonna bring God glory. And it, it, after he says that, the disciples take off. Uh, they flee, they get away, and Jesus wanted to be the one that protected them in this moment. So they leave. And then let's pick up here in our verses. In John chapter 18, we'll look at verses 12 through 14 first. It says, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Okay, so Jesus uh, was arrested and then he is taken to Annas. Now, this essentially, this moment as he's gonna stand before Annas, this uh, is a preliminary hearing and it's the, uh, it's the only um, account given of this event. John is the only one who records uh, that Jesus stood before Annas. And this was kind of the first of three phases of Jesus's religious trials. Because he stood first before uh, the Jewish religious leaders before he was handed over for a civil trial with Rome. And so he's standing before the Jewish authorities. And, and although Annas at this time was not considered the, um, the high priest according to Rome, uh, he was still considered the most powerful figure in all of the Jewish religious system. 
He had been the high priest from 6 AD to 15 uh, AD, and he had been uh, removed from that office by uh, a guy named Valerius Gratus, who was Pilate's predecessor as governor. But many of the Jews still considered him the true power, uh, the source of authority, because in the Mosaic law, a high priest served a life term, <laughs> okay? And, and they hated how Rome would, would, would get in and meddle in their religious affairs. And so Rome stepped in, removed that uh, leadership from him and gave it to uh, his, his son-in-law. I'm sure that created a great family dynamic. And, 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 and so, but Annas, according to all of the Jews, is still like, he's the guy, okay? And knowing that it's his son-in-law, Who's the high priest? I mean, come on. You all know how that goes. He's still running the show. And, 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 but Caiaphas um, is mentioned here because Caiaphas was the one who in chapter 11 was the high priest uh, who'd advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people and when he was talking about Jesus. Ruthless guy, um, both of them um, wicked. And so Jesus stands before him. But then in verses 15 through 18, after it talks about Jesus standing before Annas, it then jumps back to Peter here. And in verse 15, it says this, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Okay, so uh, Jesus uh, had, had said what to Peter in John 11? He had said earlier that night, you're gonna deny me three times. Peter's like, no way. I will not, I will, I will be with you to the death, okay? They may fall away, I will not. But Jesus has told him that. Now, once again, if Jesus told you that, you're thinking about it. I would assume you're thinking about it. You're like, I can't, I can't stumble. I'm not going to deny him. Um, and, and what we uh, see, though, that happened is after the disciples had fled the scene at the Garden of Gethsemane, they fled just as they were supposed to. And Peter and another disciple decide to turn around at some point. Now, the other disciple here that's talking about it doesn't say them by name, but we believe, most believe it is John, the writer, because John never refers to himself by name. In fact, it's kind of funny. He describes himself in his gospel as the disciple that Jesus loved, okay? Very humble guy. Um, and, and, and so... We believe he's talking about John here. So Peter and John, they head back. 
They head back, and, and what's really interesting uh, here is as they go uh, back, we see um, that John was allowed into the court of the high priest because of a relationship that he had with the high priest. He was known, and, and so he goes in. Peter doesn't have that relationship, and so Peter's standing on the outside, and John then goes and talks to the doorkeeper and says, uh, listen, he's okay. Uh, John vouches for him, and then Peter, is allowed to enter. As he's entering through the doorway, uh, this, this lady who's overseeing the doorway, uh, essentially, in, 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 the, in the Greek text, it's literally, she's expecting a negative answer. She's like, you're not one of those disciples of him, are you? You're not one as well, are you? And so Peter says, no, no, I'm not. It's interesting here how Peter chooses to follow Jesus and choosing to follow Jesus walked him right into temptation. Did we catch that? <laughs> you guys, it, it, it always catches us off guard, but it is consistent all throughout scripture. When you decide I'm gonna follow Jesus, when you make a decision to receive him as Lord and Savior, when you have a moment of response, repentance, maybe it's um, rededication to him. Maybe there's something revealed in your life and you're, like, and you're like, I'm to deal with it now. I'm taking care of this, God. I'm going back to you. I'm coming back. I'm, and, and you're making these positive changes. Uh, you need to know that part of following Jesus uh, means being confronted with temptation. And it always catches us off guard because the level of temptation is always worse to the extent that we're following Jesus. And, and that's how the enemy has designed it. Um, and, but, but I think what's so interesting here is when we uh, look at this, uh, a lot of us would say, man, I admire his courage and his love for Jesus, wouldn't we? Right? I mean, you would hope that if you're a follower, that at some point after running away, you would stop and go, man, that's my savior. I love him. That's my teacher. And you would go back and, and want to be there for him, right? And so, and so Peter and John, they go back and, and, and they're, they're going to walk through this with Jesus. They're going to support him. Uh, they're going to be there at, during these critical moments during his trial. And by choosing to do that, they, uh, Peter walks right into this temptation that Jesus has warned him was coming. Says it's coming. Now, it's, here it's interesting. I, I, it's like, why did he deny being a disciple of Jesus right here? And we don't really know why, because uh, it's hard to understand because John has just been allowed to go through and he was a well-known Jesus follower. So why in this moment does Peter deny? We don't fully know. But Peter gets in and, 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 and he sees the fire and, and those around him, it's cold, it's evening. And so he goes over there and he starts warming himself by the fire. And then all of a sudden, John then shifts again back to Jesus standing before Annas. And so in verse 19, it says this, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. 
Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Does that not just like get you angry? Jesus answered him. If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So here he is standing before Annas here. And all throughout Jesus's religious trials here, you need to know that the whole thing is essentially a joke. I mean, his fate has already been decided. In John chapter 11, uh, going back there, uh, the chief priests and the Pharisees had convened a council and, and they were saying, what are we gonna do with him? What do we do? He's performing all these miracles, all these signs. And the conclusion that they arrived at was that Jesus had to die. And so it says from that moment on, they planned together to kill him. So none of the trials that, that we're looking at here, these Jewish uh, uh, trials, none of them were, were an attempt to actually understand or determine uh, whether he was guilty or innocent. Uh, th there was no desire there. Their purpose was to figure out how to legally murder him. And, and, and so this informal hearing before Annas, it, it was no exception, okay? Uh, rather than bringing charges against Jesus and producing evidence to substantiate them, which was what they were supposed to do legally, Annas takes this time to question Jesus, to try and corner him, to try and get him to say something that would be incriminating. Okay, so he asked him about his teaching, about his disciples, um, and, and, and he's hoping to uh, get Jesus in some way to say something that will justify the death sentence that they've already decided upon. Now, witnesses were supposed to be called, like all of this was supposed to be done to speak on the behalf of the accusers and the accused and all of that, but none of that was followed as Annas, Annas interrogates Jesus. Now, Jesus is well aware of the law. He knows the law. So he responds to what's happening in verses 20 and 21. And essentially what he said was, if you want to know what I teach, ask anybody. Why are you asking me? Ask absolutely anybody. Bring the witnesses in. And there's plenty of them. Why? Because I taught openly. I was in all the major places where people would gather together. I taught in those places. And my message was the same there as it was privately. My message was the same with my disciples as it was to everybody uh, else. And so what he's essentially doing is he's just asking them to follow the law and how they do this. Just honor the law. One of the officers uh, who's standing next to Jesus, he, he thinks that that reply is disrespectful. And so he smacks Jesus in the face. Hmm. And it's in that moment that we see Jesus remain calm. Now, it's pretty significant that he remains calm here because later in the New Testament, we see almost the same situation and Paul gets smacked. Paul doesn't handle it like Jesus does. Paul goes off and then Paul repents. Jesus willingly allowed that, but he said, listen, if something I said was wrong, show it to me. If not, why are you slapping me? 
Annas is realizing that he's not getting anything out of Jesus that, that can incriminate him. So he sends him on to Caiaphas, the high priest, his son-in-law. Because only Caiaphas could bring legal charges against Jesus to Pilate. And we, we pick up then, we have to jump to Matthew 26 because Matthew gives the account of what happens here as Jesus stood before Caiaphas. And in Matthew chapter 26, and I'll just read it, um, it, it says this in verse 57. It says, Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And, and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him saying, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? And then it takes us to the next morning, this, this third um, religious trial in the morning in, in chapter 27, verses one and two, it says, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. So Jesus goes and he stands before uh, Caiaphas. He stands before the Sanhedrin, which was the religious Supreme Court of uh, Israel. And they're seeking out, not credible witnesses, they're seeking out false witnesses. But it's not working. They're not getting what they need and until these two individuals stand up and say, hey, we heard him say that he was gonna tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. Now, what they're just doing is twisting Jesus's words because what was Jesus talking about when he said that? He was talking about himself. He's talking about his own body. So they take that and they twist that and they use it against him and that's all they needed. They said, blasphemy, we got him, it's over. He acknowledges he's the Messiah. So then they proceed to mock him. They spit on him. They beat him. And as they're hitting him, they're asking, hey, you're the Christ. Prophesy now. Who was it that just hit you? And all these things that break our hearts. But we see it was already decided. So they go through this joke of a process Annas to Caiaphas to ultimately the next morning. And, you know, they were supposed to meet the next morning. And, and what that did uh, in the religious circles then was, was supposedly designed to give them a night, you know, for grace and mercy to take, to, to take hold. No, 
They wake up and they're like, let's get rid of him. It's over. We've got him. So they agree it's time to put him to death. And so they're gonna send him to Pilate to finish the deal. But now the focus goes back to Peter. And in verses 25 through 27 of John chapter 18, we go back to Peter and it says this. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Okay, so Peter uh, has been waiting around, standing, uh, you know, he's listening, uh, he's, he's getting to see some things, but overall, he's, he's, he's around these other people, um, wait, awaiting the results, and, and he's just trying to keep warm around this fire, but others that are around that are starting to become suspicious, and so they ask him, wait, you're not also one of his disciples, are you? And we see this, this second question here. Finally, like, like what is it? This is, this is an opportunity for Peter to redeem himself, right? You're like, oh, he's lucky. He gets this opportunity to set the record straight. He gets the opportunity uh, to be courageously honest now, get things right. You know, I, I'm sure he was there processing, man, I just denied Jesus once. I've, he said three times, so I'm gonna be ready. I'm gonna be prepared. Well, here it is. Are you one of them? The second time he's asked, and guess what? He denies it again, strike two. And so there he is, denying Jesus. And then what do we, what do we read? Then one of the servants of the high priest, who was a relative of Malchus, ooh, man, when you start lying, the walls start closing in. And he says, wait a second. Did I not see you in the garden with him? Now listen, outside of Jesus, whose face do you think was the most popular face in the garden? Probably Peter's, right? And, 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 and even more so, it's like, you cut my cousin's ear off. Like, I remember you. You were clearly there. Okay, in fact, we read the other accounts of this in Matthew, in Matthew 26, verses 73 and 74. It, 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 it says, after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you two are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man and immediately the rooster crowed. So it, it's getting worse. Peter's panicking. He's freaking out. And so he denies any knowledge of Jesus to the point where he's starting to lose it. He's starting to swear. He's starting to cuss. And immediately a rooster crows. And as soon as that rooster crows, strike three in and Luke tells us in Luke 22, 61, says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Man, that's a tough one. 
Can you see Jesus's face? You know, when I think of Jesus's face in that moment, I don't see this face going, told you so. I don't see this face going, right? You just see sadness, don't you? Why do we replace his face every time we make a mistake with all those other things? I bet Peter sees that face, literally the, the face of love, the face of grace, the face of mercy, and he's overwhelmed with shame, with guilt, to the point where he runs out just weeping. Can't fathom, can't imagine what he's just done. Jesus had said, this is what you're going to do. No way, not me. And in the garden, he's sleeping and Jesus wakes him up. It's here, temptations here. It's arrived. Uh, Okay. Okay. Not me. I'm ready. And we see him once again, fall right into it. And, 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 and we've seen Judas just betray Jesus. You guys, all the disciples saw Judas betray Jesus, didn't they? You're telling me as they were running away, they weren't talking about that? They weren't processing that as well? They weren't going, I can't believe Judas did that. Judas is one of us. We gave our money to Judas. Like how in the world and how could, how could Judas do that to Jesus? How could he do it to us? I don't understand how he could betray the savior, how he could betray our teacher, our rabbi, our, our, our friend. And so, so Peter has already processed that. He's working through that. But now he's the one in this moment who's betrayed Jesus. And guys, just as we are, every time, if we're Jesus follower, every time we turn our backs on Jesus, every time we pretend uh, that, that we love him and we don't, or every time that we pretend um, that, that, that literally, uh, hey, I, I'm not a follower around certain circles and we're trying to like be cool enough, but, but, we're, but we're the same way. We're, de- we're denying him. We're doing the same thing. But here is what's so amazing, you guys. In the moment when Peter fails Jesus, Jesus the most, in my opinion, guess what? Jesus didn't cancel the mission, did he? He didn't cancel the mission because of Judas's betrayal and he didn't cancel the mission because of Peter's betrayal. You know what he did? He modeled that I die for the betrayers. I go to the cross for the betrayers. And, 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 and I look at that and, and I go, man, it's amazing. <laughs> that you do that for us. But then I, I, I go back to Peter. It's been the theme the last two weeks. What was the root of Peter's problem here? We looked at that last week, but what, what here, what, what happened? And you go, well, you know, you talked about it last week in the garden. He wasn't, he wasn't you know, he wasn't seeking God. Like he wasn't praying. He, he, he wasn't listening when, when, when Jesus had said, this is gonna happen. He kind of denied that and just went forward. So all those things, yeah, yeah. But you know what? You know what we see here that we don't wanna see, that we don't wanna see in ourselves, that, that is, is the greatest danger I see right now is we see the root of Peter's problem here is fear. Fear. You guys, Fear actively fights against faith. It fights against truth. 
And what's its goal? And this is why it's so dangerous and deadly. Its goal isn't just to fight against those. Its goal is to defeat and to beat out faith and truth for the throne of your mind and your heart. Its goal is to beat them out so that the fear now is the source of authority for your life. It wants to overshadow those things. It wants to overshadow faith. It wants to overshadow truth so that you can't even operate in that anymore because fear has overcome them. But here's what's so dangerous about this particular situation when we see the fear here is we see the danger of how fear can mask itself. Okay, because what's so dangerous about this is is what? We just highlighted how Peter's there. He's there. He's there for the moment. He, he's, he's, he's shown courage to just be there, right? Like, like there's a courageous, there's a love component here that he, even though everyone fled, everyone was in fear, that he and John decided to turn around and they're like, we're gonna be there for him. And, and what? And Peter knew that the, the temptation was there, but he was courageous, right? He still walked, he, he was there. But what we see, and this is what's so dangerous, is how Fear can all of a sudden hit us in the midst of a moment where we would say we're being courageous. So so he's there for God, being one of only two. And then he's the one that out of fear denies. And I go, man, is that the only time you did that? Well, unfortunately, there's a pretty, there's another pretty amazing moment in Peter's life in there. See, Peter also was the only one courageous enough when Jesus was walking on water to say, hey, if you're God, call me out to you. So Jesus is like, come on. And we go, wow. Peter, you are bold. You are brave. Because you know what Peter does? He gets out. And other than a lizard that apparently walks on water, I've never heard of anybody walking on water in human history other than him and Jesus. So there he is, right? Walking on water. What happened? In the midst of something courageous, brave, God invites him into it. What happened? He looks back and immediately fear overtakes truth and faith. Immediately. Throwing him off. Why was he wielding that sword? Ah, he was courageous. Was it? Or was that coming from fear that he was going to lose Jesus? Guys, continued obedience and trust in God's word while you walk with him, it will push out fear. It will push it out. Why do I know this is true? Well, 1 John 4, 18, it says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love, God, casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So so he says, 
who I am and, 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 and he is love, who, who I am and, 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 and what I bring into your life, it removes fear. It pushes it out. It, 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 it can't coexist with who I am. And, and so you just need to know, man, if you're walking um, by the spirit, if you're walking in step with his word, if you are following him, he is gonna be removing fear out of your life. Okay, um, and, and, and I love this example in Deuteronomy 31.8. I know I'm going back to the Old Testament, but there is a moment when Joshua is told, you're gonna step in now, you're gonna carry on Moses' legacy. You're gonna lead the nation of Israel. Now, Moses is an icon, okay? Like, like it's not like you don't get prepared to take over an icon. Like, uh, he is the guy. Everybody talks about Moses, all the other people, they talk about Moses, all of, all of the nation of Israel, Moses, 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 right? But Moses isn't allowed to go into the promised land and Joshua's told, you're gonna lead them. And I don't know about you, but if I'm Joshua, guess what is filling me up right now? Fear. What if? What if they don't follow me? What if they don't listen to me? God, what if I don't have the power like, like, like Moses did and, 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 and we're, gonna, we're gonna face these armies now. We know they're there. And, and what, what's gonna happen, God, right? All these things of fear and Moses pulls him aside. I love this. Imagine for a moment, Moses is like pulling you aside. And in Deuteronomy 31, he says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you he will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Joshua, you may walk on some ground that's different than your feet have felt or experienced before. And you may, have, you may be fighting against some enemies you haven't fought before. But guess what? God's already been there. He's already walked it. He's already fought that battle. He's already gone before you. And not only has he gone before you, but he's, he's with you and he's not gonna leave you. He's not gonna forsake you. So just get that fear out of, out of you. It's got no business being there. And guys, I, I just think we need to hear that in our lives. We need to hear that right now. As, as we talk about um, the, the danger of fear, how it can take over, how it can do these things in our lives and how it can hijack our faith, hijack the truth, hijack what God clearly tells us to do and not to do. And we have to remind ourselves that whatever you're facing, whatever that fear is, whatever is paralyzing you, crippling you, uh, whatever the unknown is, whatever that is, God's already gone before it. And he's walking with you through it if you're a Jesus follower. But see, that's why fear is so dangerous because it, it does what? It takes, it wants to take over your life. It wants to take over. And, 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 and why is it so dangerous? You don't even know what's happening. We don't even know it's happening. And we have all of these convenient uh, labels uh, that we will label these other areas of our life with and, and we, we won't identify or we just don't wanna acknowledge that at the root of it, unfortunately, is fear. There's so many words that, that we'll use because we don't wanna use fear. Well, I'm just angry. Or, 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 you know, that's just, uh, that's more convenient or, or that, that's responsible. 
or, or, and we'll say all these words, or that's just, I'm just anxious here, or, or this, or we, we, all these things uh, that we will say and we will we'll use. And, and, and what essentially it's, it's doing, it's masking the, 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 the bottom line issue, the core, the base, which is this thing called fear. And it's so dangerous that even some of us can think that we're being courageous and in that moment we're reacting and responding just like Peter. It's actually out of fear. And guys, I've shared this before. I think this hits so hard because I saw it in myself. I saw it in myself. I hate that I saw it in myself. <laughs> but, you know, um, I, I've shared before when, when, when things really just started locking down and, and here I am, you know, preaching to a little lens in a room with no one else there and our production guy would come in and go, you ready? Yeah. And press play and they'd walk out of the room and there I am burying my heart and my soul to a little lens and you're just sitting there going, is anybody there? What's happening on the other end? What is going on? And, and you just, everything you got and just over and over, week, week in, week out and all of this. And I just found myself just getting to this space of, of just going to a darker and darker place in my heart, in my mind. Um, I, I was being controlled by, by these thoughts. And, and you know what? I'm not, I don't want to toot my own horn here, but I've never like thought of myself as like a fearful person. I just haven't. I feel like I'm the opposite. I feel like it's more like, Steve, you should be afraid here. Okay. But I, I don't naturally become afraid of things. And, 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 and so I was just walking through this and I could not figure out what was going on. I just knew I'm going into this darker and darker place. I'm angry. I'm, I'm upset. I'm, 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 I'm feeling all this weight and everything. And, and you know what was going on? I don't know when it hit, but it hit. I was afraid to lose the church. I was afraid to lose the church. I was afraid that we were going to lose the influence God had given us. I was afraid of all these situations, of all of these things happening. And I had labeled it so many other things. But guys, at the end of the day, that's what it was. I was afraid that I was going to lose it. And when I was able to come to terms with where that was coming from, did that change? Guys, fear is me taking it upon myself. Faith is allowing God to take it upon himself. Fear is telling me I have to maintain control. Faith is giving God control. Fear says I am king. My circumstances are king. My job is king. My family is king. My health is king. But faith is God is king. And so what we see is, is fear and trusting God, they, they, they don't coexist. They can't, they can't be together, right? And so they're, they're actively working against each other. And so we just got to come to that point this morning where we can address that, where we can move forward, because here's what's so beautiful about this passage. It doesn't just end on this down note. You're not going to walk out of church going, oh my goodness, I, I'm full of fear. Did you hear that? Like, here we are, I'm failing at that. No, 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 um, because we fail. 
I continue to fail. I continue to, to struggle. I'm still human. All of these things, we're still here. Uh, life hasn't fixed itself, everything else, right? But we can hold to this. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 7, verse 10, and I'm going long, but whatever, it's 10 o'clock. It says this, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Now, what is it talking about here? Well, the beauty is it's addressing people that are falling. This church, a mess. They're falling, they're failing, and this letter is written to them. And, it's, and he's saying, listen, godly grief, that leads to repentance. And this letter that was delivered, it brought grief, it brought sorrow to them, but they were able to repent of their sins and get things right. And so what is repentance? Repentance is the desire to turn from sin and restore one's relationship with God. And, and, and it's literally saying how godly grief is grief that's actually according to the will of God and is produced by the Holy Spirit. Because you guys, true repentance cannot occur if I don't grieve over sin. Now, it contrasts to what? Worldly grief, which is it's unsanctified. It, it, it has no redemptive capability, right? Uh, because you're outside of God's family. And, and, and ultimately, where do you take that grief? Where do you take that sorrow? That kind of sorrow leads to what? What we're seeing in our culture. This guilt, this shame, this depression, this self-pity, this hopelessness. And it ultimately led the guy we read about, Judas, to end his own life. He couldn't handle that grief, but we're contrasted with Peter's response to his grief, right? We see Judas's grief in Matthew 27, led him to kill, to take his own life, but we see Peter's response to grief, and we see them in contrast to each other because Peter's grief led to repentance. It led to restoration. It enabled him to be this incredible, bold witness for Jesus. And we know this because in 1 Corinthians 15, 5, and it's talking about after the resurrection and Jesus's appearances, it says, and, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. In other words, after that look, as painful and hard as it was between Jesus and Peter, guess what the next look is when, they, when their eyes met? Guess when that is? It's after Jesus is resurrected and he went and he got Peter before he went and got the rest of them. I wasn't there for the conversation, but I can only imagine it's let's go. Let's go. It's over. I, I didn't cancel the cross for you. Okay? I went through it, I resurrected, and now it's time for you to get back up. Let's go. I want to take you to a place you haven't been to before. And ultimately, we see this. And guess what? In that conversation, I'll bet you this. I'll bet you Peter remembered what Jesus said. Because in Luke uh, 22, when he told him, you're going to deny me, guess what he said? In, in Luke 22, 32, he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. He says, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus is literally like, you're gonna fail, but when you turn again, what, what does that mean? There was forgiveness already waiting for Peter after his failure. 
Guys, if you failed, or, or you maybe even say, I'm actively failing right now, do you realize there's forgiveness waiting for you? It's waiting for you. He's not deciding, ah, should I forgive them? They really did that one. Man, they've really turned their back here. Man, they've really taken things into their own hands there. They made a mess of that. They really messed up what my name represents. Like, like, like no, uh, he's not deciding whether to. He's saying, I already have, and I'm waiting to forgive you. And you guys, as I was studying that, I went, man, as a parent, this, this hits. Man, what's my mindset towards my kids? If that's God's mindset towards me, he's waiting to forgive me. He's waiting to forgive you. If you've never experienced that forgiveness, I invite you to experience the forgiveness of Jesus that was won for you on the cross. And those of you right now that just need to come back to him and you're overwhelmed with mistakes, with fear, with all these things that have just messed with you and you're seeing them and you're like, well, what do I do with that? You receive forgiveness and you know that it was already planned for him to forgive you because he loves you that much. Amen. Let's pray.